Welcome to GOB Radio, where the GOB stands for Gorillas of Booze. My name is Doug, and this is the first episode of The Booze Tutor uh, here on the WGOB Network, our, our proud home of all our podcasts, as well as uh, all of our YouTube shows on the WGOB Network uh, YouTube channel. So the Booze Tutor podcast is really designed to be uh, educational in nature. With each episode that we do, focusing on one style of beer until we run out. And then we'll transition to, you know, other forms of alcohol, vodka, rum, wine, even, you know. Uh, I'll get somebody more intelligent and more versed in the world of wine to handle that one than me, because it is not my thing. Uh, now, when it comes to the word educational, it's important to note that while I do read and I immerse myself in the alcohol world, you know, focusing more on beer than on anything else. Uh, chances are, if you have or have written or produced some sort of beer newsletter, I probably subscribe to it. And if not, let me know, and then I will subscribe to it because all I do is read about this. Um, and I, I am also both a, a Cicerone certified beer server as well as a Master Brewer Association of America's associate beer steward. I recognize that both of those certifications are kind of your entry-level certifications and that anybody that spends any time with beer, with liquor, you know, in that world can probably pass those, uh, those tests and get those certifications. The point of that being, I, I in no way claim to be an expert, uh, nor do I intend to present myself as an expert here. The podcast really isn't designed to get you ready for a master Cicerone exam or to prepare you to pass, you know, the beer judge certification program. Uh, it's more designed to hopefully teach you something you may not know and give kind of a deeper appreciation or a deeper understanding for what it is that you're drinking, you know, for the stuff that we all love. The first episode here, where you know, if, you, if you've seen any of the Grills of Blue stuff that we do, we're very much immersed in pop culture and, and movies and music and sports and pro wrestling and comics and cartoons and video games and the whole thing. So in comics, there's when you're presenting a new event or when you're, you know, you know, there's a big crossover coming, they do like a, an issue zero. So this will kind of be episode zero, really. Uh, it's going to serve as an introduction of what's to come in future episodes, as well as to get you familiar with some terms that you're going to hear as we go along, because that's important. This is going to be, you know, everything here is going to be very much presented as though, you, you know, maybe you're a person drinking Bud Light and you want to kind of tiptoe into the craft beer world, but want to learn a little bit more about it and have some just general knowledge that you can impress friends with and those kinds of things. So the first thing to note is that there's... I don't know, thousands of sources out there with millions and millions of pages of information on just beer alone, let alone anything else. Uh, and each source could have, and really does have, slightly different definitions or descriptions. So in an effort to stay kind of uniformed and consistent uh, with, with the information that I, that I present here, all the information that I do present in these podcasts is going to come from the same sources. So what we're going to use, we'll use the beer judge certification program style guidelines when we're talking about, you know, the, the different beer styles. Um, an app that I have had forever, and it's always just a, a, 
a cool app to kind of just jump on if you need to figure something or if you need to look up something real quick. It's called Brewdex, uh, as well as some random things from Beer Advocate and Draft Magazine with my own kind of knowledge and things that I've picked up along the way sort of sprinkled in. It's worth mentioning here that I'm in no way promoting any of these sources, you know, whichever app or website, or I'm not promoting any of these sources. I don't get anything out of, out of mentioning them. I'm not getting paid, although they can pay me if they like. Um, I'm just, they're just simply the main sources that I decided to use. And I mentioned it just so, you know, where everything that I find is coming from in case something is wildly wrong. Listen, you know, I got it from somewhere at least. And just make it up in my own head. So now that we got that out the way, let's get into why we're all here, which is getting our learning on a little bit. So like I said, let's talk about terms that you're going to hear throughout throughout the, the length of the podcast, you know, throughout however many shows we do. So we'll start, I guess, with the three most obvious, the three most glaring, the ones that make the most sense, which are ABV, IBU, and SRM. Nothing like starting with a bunch of abbreviations, right? So ABV is, of course, probably the most common, the one that most people listening to this are going to be familiar with. It's alcohol by volume. Now, that's the standard measure of how much alcohol is contained in a given volume of any alcoholic beverage. It's expressed as a percentage. The higher the percentage, the stronger the beer. Pretty obvious, pretty self-explanatory. I think most people have have encountered uh, ABV in their lifetimes. Next up, IBU. Now, that's your international bittering units. That's basically a gauge of beer's bitterness, as you would suspect. And what IBUs measure are the parts per million of isohumulone found in a beer. Isohumulone is the acid that's found in hops that gives beer its bitter bite. So, you know, you, you, you take a swig of something in an English style bitter or something like that. That's obvious. That's the, probably too obvious of an example. But, oh, my God, this is so bitter. What you're, what you're tasting is the isohumulone. Last but not least of those three is SRM. This one's a good one. <laughs> so it stands for Standard Reference Method. Now, like I said uh, in the beginning, this podcast isn't designed to prepare you for some sort of an exam. So I'm not going to really get into measured cell paths or light wavelengths uh, and uh, absorbance values. Not going to get into the Bulger Beer Lambert laws or the actual mathematic equation of 12.7 times D times A430. Just for our purposes here, let's just say that SRM, Standard Reference Method, is a system used by modern brewers to specify finished beer and malt color. So basically, the higher the SRM number, the darker the beer. Pretty easy. So basically, ABV measures the alcohol by volume of the beer. The IBUs measure how bitter a beer is. And the SRMs are a measurement of how light or dark the beer is. Put those three, th- those three things together on your own, and you can speak pretty intelligently about a beer. Hey, this is you know how much alcohol is in it. This is how bitter it is. This is the colors that it looks like. Next, so what are the four main ingredients in beer? You need these four ingredients for for your your drink to be a beer. Those are water, hops, barley, and yeast. The Germans have a name, uh, or rather a law, for these being the ingredients in beer, and they call it the Reinhausgebot. 
or the German Purity Law. This law was written in 1516 by Bavarian Duke Wilhelm IV. And basically it says that only water, barley, and hops may be used to brew beer. Now, yeast was added to the list after scientists discovered it and then determined the, the role that it played in fermentation you know, years and years later. So now that's an accepted. So now it's accepted as uh, four parts of the rhinoscopy. Water, hops, barley, yeast. So I know what you're thinking. Well, what about malt? You know, everybody talks about the you, know, you gotta have malt in a beer, and I think it, I think it was Budweiser, maybe I don't know. Somebody had a uh, an advertising campaign that was talking about the malt in the beer. Malt is basically just a name for any grain like barley that has gone through the malting process. Basically, that process is wetting the grain and allowing it to germinate. Now, dur- during germination, some of the starches in the grain get converted into sugar while others become simple starches and other enzymes. They then take the grain, the barley or or whichever, uh, and dry it and tumble it to knock the beginnings of roots off. And then it's kilned to dry it thoroughly and then caramelize uh, some of the sugars if you're making like a crystal malt, or they even blacken it if you're looking for like, you know, if you're trying to make like a black malt. Now I'm going to do... I'm going to do something that I wasn't, I, I didn't, I wasn't sure that I was going to do this, but I'm going to dip my toe into the dangerous waters and also define craft beer. What, you know, I don't want to take for granted that we all know what we're talking about when, when, you know, everybody hears the term craft beer, but what is it really? Now for this, in an effort to sort of protect myself from, uh, any, you know, angry people online or anything like that, what I'm going to do is I'm going to consult the Brewers Association. Uh, I'm going to venture kind of outside my main sources of information for the podcast. We're going to go to the Brewers Association for the definition of craft beer. They define craft beer as uh, a brewer that is small, independent, and traditional. So those are your three your three main parts. Small, independent, and traditional. Small meaning an annual production of 6 million barrels or less, and your beer production is attributed directly to a brewer again so your beer production is attributed directly to one person a brewer or two people and you're producing six million barrels or less independent meaning that less than 25 percent of the craft brewery is owned or controlled by a beverage alcohol industry member which is not itself a craft brewer Less than 25% of the craft brewery is owned or controlled by a beverage alcohol industry member, which is not itself a craft brewer. And then traditional. Traditional meaning a brewer that has uh, a majority of its total beverage alcohol volume in beers, whose flavor derive from traditional or innovative brewing ingredients and techniques and their fermentation. Flavored malt, this is interesting, flavored malt beverages are not considered beers in this case. Again, so traditional meaning a brewer that has a majority of its total beverage alcohol volume in beers whose flavors derive from traditional or innovative brewing ingredients and their fermentation. And again, flavored malt beverages are not considered beers. In addition to that, they go on to say that craft brewers are uh, small brewers. Their hallmark is innovation. They're not, they, they use, in addition to traditional uh, ingredients and processes, they tend to use non-traditional ingredients, uh, often added for distinctiveness. Craft brewers tend to be involved in communities through philanthropy, uh, product donations, volunteerism, and event sponsorship. 
They have distinctive individualistic approaches to brewing and connecting with customers. They maintain integrity by what they brew and their independence, free from an interest by a non-craft brewer. And the majority of American, the majority, not plural, the majority of Americans uh, live within 10 miles of a craft brewer. So now that's the definition according to the Brewers Association. I, you know, personally think there are some problems with parts of that description. But listen, you can go online and see the many, many arguments both for and against this description of craft beer and kind of formulate your own, you know, thoughts on that. The one you'll see is the big one that, that kind of people point out to sometimes is the uh, independent. You know, less than 25% of a craft brewery is owned or controlled by a beverage alcohol industry member, which is not itself a craft brewer. My favorite argument was like, hey, let's say Walmart decides that they want to get into brewing and they buy some local brewery and then Walmart starts beginning, beginning to brew beer. Now, is that still a craft brewery? I don't know. You know, if if Walmart buys seventy five percent of some craft brewery and begins and begins brewing, technically it's not uh, an industry. You know, it's not a, a member in the industry that's not a craft brewer already. So is it still a craft brewery? I, I don't know. It gets murky. The whole thing gets crazy. Um, there are people that will argue that places like uh, Wicked Weed, for example, and I'm not picking on them, but uh, it's just the first name that jumps in my head. They got bought up by AB InBev. And still produce their beers their way and all that, that they're still a craft brewery. Other people claim sacrilege because they're owned by AB InBev that they can't possibly be a craft brewery. I'm not here to decide that. I'm not here to, you know, I'm, first of all, I'm in no position to tell anybody what is or what isn't a craft brewery or, or any of those kinds of things. So go online, read, read different, every side of the argument, decide for yourself, or don't get too crazy about it and just uh, drink what you like and drink what you like the taste of, drink what tastes good to you. And like a moped, hope that your friends don't see you riding the wrong one. I don't know. Is that even a good... I don't even know. I don't even think that's a good uh, metaphor for here. But you get it. You don't want your friends seeing you drinking a Budweiser, right? Because it's, you know, the evil empire. <laughs> uh, so I guess last thing that we'll do for this kind of little introductory episode is... Uh, introductory? Is that the word? Inter- introductory? Intro- for this intro episode... Let's talk a little bit about the history of beer in the world. I mean, we could sit here and talk for probably eight hours, you know, a whole timeline. I'm going to effort to not do that, but I will just talk about, you know, some important dates and stuff. We start around roughly 10,000 BC, where nomadic people in the Middle East began harvesting grains, effectively introducing agriculture to the world. Uh, If you believe in the strictest version of Noah's Ark. It said that beer was one of Noah's provisions on the Ark. And some historians think that prehistoric people might have learned to make beer from steeped grains and water before they were creating, you know, before creating bread. Many historians also credit beer with helping the development of early settlements, noting that the alcohol in beer, although minimal at the time, really, might have made things more livable, you know, by taking the edge off. The Sumerians called beer kas, meaning what the mouth desires. And almost 4,000 years ago, the oldest surviving beer recipe is a prayer to the Sumerian goddess of beer, Ninkasi. 
call it 4300 BC or so, Babylonian clay tablets, detail those early recipes for beer. And you can see that beer was a major part of civilization for the Babylonians, the Egyptians, Hebrew, Chinese, and Inca cultures, uh, even sometimes used to pay workers for their daily wages. Um, it certainly was used as a form of currency in ancient Egypt, and it helped fuel the workers who made the Great Pyramids. And then wealthy Egyptians were buried with jars of beer to ensure a happy afterlife. I'm sure that would work for all of us. For the first half of the Middle Ages, so called 500 to 1,000, years 500 to 1,000 or so, uh, brewing, brewing begins in Europe, European monasteries and convents. Before the Middle Ages, all the brewing was done by women because it was considered a food as well as a drink, which falls into the world of a woman's job in, the, in those times. Around that same period of time, around 1,000, year 1,000 A.D., an important thing happens as hops begin to appear in the brewing process. In about the year 1200, beer brewing is established as a commercial enterprise in Germany, Austria, and England. So the Germans preferring lagers and English preferring more ales. In, call it 1420, Germans develop the uh, method of brewing beer for what's recognized as a lager now, so your lower temperatures uh, with bottom fermentation. That brings us to 1516, which we've already talked about is the year of the Reinhuskavat. That's your Bavarian-German purity law, uh, which makes it technically illegal to use any ingredients but water, barley, and hops in the brewing process. And again, they didn't even know yeast existed yet, so yeast didn't get added until uh, years later. Then we bring to we jump up to 1553, big day. Beck's Brewing is founded and still brewing today, as a matter of fact. And I'm a big fan. I don't know if anybody out there is a fan of Beck's. I enjoy Beck's. Brings us to 1612, where your first commercial brewery is opened in New Amsterdam. Uh, after colonists in London posted ads in newspapers looking for experienced brewers. Around 1789, our good friend James Madison, if you're from Virginia, uh, James Madison proposes the manufacture of beer in every state in the Union. And, you know, Speaking of political figures and presidents and stuff, Thomas Jefferson and George Washington were actually operating their own private business, uh, brew houses rather, in the 1600s, 1700s. Well, not 16s and 1700s. They'd be immortals then, I guess, right? Uh, but in that, that 1700 time frame, uh, 1810, Oktoberfest is established in Munich. It's a celebration of the marriage of Prince Ludwig. In 1876, another big day, as Louis Pasteur discovers the secret of yeast in the fermentation process. Also that same year, automatic bottling and pasteurization is developed to stabilize beers. That's 22 years before the process was applied to milk. So that lets you know where beer stands on the beer versus milk argument. So... They came up with the bottling process, pasteurization process 22 years before they applied it to milk. By 1880, some records say that there's as many as 2,300 uh, operating breweries in the United States. Uh, however, by 1914, commercial competition had killed that number down all the way to 1,400. In the midst of all this, of course, there was a little something called prohibition going on in the United States. That ended in 1933. I 
believe in April of 1933. Don't hold me to that, but I think it was April of 1933. That's what's jumping out at me. Uh, so by two years after that, so by 1935, there were only 160 breweries that had survived Prohibition. So from 1,400, there was 160 left that survived Prohibition. But in 1935, also, the beer can was introduced. So obviously, huge, huge innovation for the beer world in general, craft or otherwise. In 1965, our man Fritz Maytag uh, purchased Anchor Brewing Company. And it's, that move is credited as single-handedly saving the craft beer industry in the United States. So big ups to Fritz Maytag. We appreciate you. In 1966, our good friends Budweiser uh, became the first brand to sell 10 million barrels in a year. In 88, 1988, uh, Goose Island Brewing opened in Chicago. I know there's some Goose Island fans, and although some have abandoned ship after their purchase. Uh, in 92, the U.S. beer industry produced and sold 2.62 billion cases of beer. And one year later, U.S. beer retail beer sales exceeded $45 billion. As we move into 2000s, the year 2000 itself specifically, uh, there were 1,147 craft breweries that produced 6.1 million barrels of beer. Uh, five years later, Bud Light is recognized as the best-selling light beer in the world, our good friends AB and Bev. Speaking of that company, AB and Bev, it was in 2008 when Anheuser-Busch combined with the company InBev uh, to form that new company, AB InBev, and it's become the largest brewer in the world. Huge catalog of brands. Some you may not even know, they have a whole division designed to, to be purchasing craft beers that they say are not competition to them, yet they spend a lot of their time buying them up. But that's a story or an argument or whatever you want to call it for another day. In 2011, there's 1,989 total U.S. breweries, which is the highest total since 1880. And they keep popping up and popping up. And all of us as consumers are definitely the winners of that because each new brewery that pops up either brings with them a new innovation or forces the breweries that you know and love to try something different because obviously the competition is fierce. Although I will say, in my experience in the craft beer industry, you find more of these breweries that kind of big up each other, build each other up, help each other out so much as opposed to trying to stamp each other out. So that's always that community feeling, I think, is one of the, the good things, um, you know, in the, in the craft beer industry that, that people love so much. Now, being as we sit here in northern New Jersey as I record this, that brings us to 2015, where our local brewery, Magnify Brewing, opens its doors. So... <laughs> We joke on the YouTube show that uh, we're Magnify Homers because it seems like we bring up Magnify a lot. And really, it's just that, you know, they're they're the local brewery, right? Drink local. So looking at the clock on the wall, it's about that time to to get on out of here. You know, like I said, this is an, an introductory episode, so I don't want to put too much in your brain. And, 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 you know, I need you all fresh when the real class starts. And that said, class will start. With episode one, we're going to start in North America because we're in North America, so why not? Uh, we're going to start with the standard American lager. That's going to be our first beer style that we're going to look at. Uh, probably in the next you know, week or, or two, we'll, uh, we'll get that put together. Again, my name is Doug. I represent those gorillas of booze. Some weeks it will be just me here. Uh, other times I'll have either Frank or Christian with me or maybe Frank and Christian on their own or... 
regardless, one or two or three of us will uh, will go through these styles with everybody. Uh, follow us on social media if you like. If you like what you hear, give us a like, give us a follow. We're at Gorillas of Booze on Instagram. That's probably our most active social media account. Gorillas of Booze on Facebook. We're the Booze Gorillas on Twitter. And of course, the, the source, the home for all things media with the Gorillas of Booze, WGOB Network on YouTube. It's the home of our video shows. And here on in SoundCloud, iTunes, whatever, Stitcher, whatever you're listening to us on, this will be the home of our podcasts, including the soon-to-debut Gorillas of Booze Radio, which will be similar to our uh, GOB TV show, uh, just, you know, audio as opposed to video, so you don't have to look at our pretty faces all the time. Anyway, that's it. The bell rings. Class dismissed. See you next time.